Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, and reading at verse number 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Let's stop there and again look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do thank Thee for this midweek service, and we thank Thee for each and every one who has uh, got up from their homes and traveled down here to the house of the local church. We thank Thee for these hymns that we can lift up our voices in praise to our Savior and sing. We thank thee for the fellowship that we that encourages us and strengthens us and lifts us up when we can gather together in one another's presence. And Lord, tonight as we open your word and meditate upon its precepts, we pray that you will uh, use it to strengthen our hearts for the tasks that are set before us in this world and the task of denying ourselves and taking up our cross each and every day and living for your glory and not for our own glory. And we pray that the Lord Jesus would be uh, here in our midst and that uh, he would be pleased to help us as we consider your word. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Our, our topic tonight is a very important one. It's, a, it's something that's under great attack in these last days that we live, and it's only getting worse by the day. And so we want to take a few moments to think about it. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be judged, or uh, excuse me, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. We read also in the Old Testament, and these are some verses that go along with the theme of tonight's message. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 20, we read these words, The prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, even that prophet shall die. It's fortunate that we're not living under the Old Testament law. There would be a 
a lot of dead preachers in the land today. If modern translators who replace the, the 1611 King James Bible lived in those Old Testament days, they would be taken out and stoned to death. And as Pastor Kent used to say, I like this little saying, they, they've been educated beyond their intelligence. They presumptuously and arrogantly and condescendingly change the pure, spotless words of the, of the eternal God with their own fallible, lying words. Again, Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 6 says, Add thou not unto his words. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. The Bible has been called, uh, I forget where I read this, but it, it's been called America's first textbook. The Bible was America's first textbook. Noah Webster called the Bible the schoolmaster of the republic. The schoolmaster of the republic. And he said that education is useless without the Bible. And he also said the Bible is America's basic textbook in all fields, in all fields. So the New Testament came by divine inspiration, as all the scripture did. The Lord Jesus received his father's words directly from heaven. The Lord Jesus received his father's words directly from heaven. And we read about that in John 17 and verse 8, where it says in, in his prayer of intercession during that in, that, in John's gospel, chapter 17, he said, for I have given, he's, he's, he's pouring out his heart to his heavenly father. And he says, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. The Lord promised that these words would not pass away. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And they won't, not now or nor forever. And the Lord Jesus further promised that the Holy Spirit would guide the apostles unto all truth. He promised that, that the Holy Spirit would bring things to their remembrance and, and would show them things to come. And thus the apostles and prophets who wrote the New Testament, they did not have to depend upon fallible men and, and human devices. And Christ likewise assures you and me and every believer who follows him the equal assurance. Jesus said in John chapter 14 also, he said, uh, if a man love me, he will keep my words. That's the evidence that we love the Lord Jesus Christ, that we keep his words. 
and my father will love him and we will come unto him and we will make our abode with him. Isn't that something wonderful? That the father and the Lord Jesus will make their abode with you and me as we keep his word. And he said, these things have I spoken unto you being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have commanded you. There's an interesting book, and I've got quite a few. I'm sure you do too. Uh, And this is a book by... Edward F. Hills, it's called the King James Version Defended. The King James Version Defended. And the first edition and a number of subsequent editions, this man was a staunch defender of the King James Version. And I want to read you a quote from his, his book from the introduction. It says, If the doctrine of divine inspiration of the Old and New Testament scriptures is a true doctrine, the doctrine of the providential preservation of the scriptures must also be a true doctrine. It must be that down through the centuries, God has exercised a special providential control over the copying of the scriptures and the preservation and use of the copies so that trustworthy representations of the original text have been available to God's people in every age. God must have done this. For if he gave the scriptures to his church by inspiration as the perfect and final revelation of his will, then it's obvious that he would not allow this revelation to disappear or undergo any alteration of this fundamental character. He said also the original New Testament manuscripts were written under special conditions, under the inspiration of God, and the copies were made and preserved under special conditions, under the singular care and providence of God. And one one more quote. He said, modern Bible-believing scholars, and I don't know when you hear the end of this quote that they were all Bible-believing, but modern Bible-believing scholars have taken very little interest in the concept of consistently Christian New Testament textual criticism. For more than a century, most of them have been quite content to follow in this area the naturalistic methods of Tischendorf, Westcott, and Hort. The result of this has been truly disastrous. And that that is so true. That is so true. The prophet Amos, who prophesied to the northern kingdom in the days of Jeroboam, he said this in Amos, and I won't... burden you it shouldn't be a burden but for I won't burden you to turn to every passage that we have tonight because we have many but the the prophet Amos he he prophesied to the northern kingdoms during the days of King Jeroboam 
And he said this in Amos chapter 8. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, not a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. And that's where professing Christendom at large is living in that same land today. It has been for many years. And all the prophets give witness to God's word. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. When you eat something, it becomes a part of you. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. The psalmist said, how sweet, how sweet are thy words to my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And Job, there's so many scriptures that that address this subject. Job said in, in Job chapter 23 and verse 12, he said, Neither have I gone back from from the commandments of thy lips. I have esteemed the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. I have esteemed the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. And we read this warning in in the final Words of the book of the Revelation, chapter 22. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. In the Bible Institute, we've kind of launched out on a small study. It's... uh, I don't know, it may take the better part of the year, but we've launched out uh, on a study. And part of the studies have related to the modern Bible version problems. And one of the oft excuses of modern English versions is that the 1611 King James Bible, it's too antiquated. It's old. We want something new. And it's difficult to read. If you really want to know the truth, it's difficult to read. It's antiquated. Well, I personally do not believe that. I don't believe one iota of that. And, you know, I have sat right here in this congregation. And and by the way, I've heard over and over that, that fifth graders, fifth graders in Calvary Christian School have no problem reading the King James Bible. They can do it, and they do read the King James Bible. And they quote these passages from memory in the, out of the King James Bible and these wonderful programs that they put on here in, in the chapel in the church. But the, but the more 
sinister problem, in my opinion, is the deception and the lies that's being disseminated. Uh, it, well, take, take one example, the New King James Bible. The New King James Bible. An article was published by the Fundamentalist Baptist Information Service in 2003 that claimed that the New King James Version is a deception based on these facts. But before we examine these facts, let's, 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 first, let's first turn back in our Bibles to, to Genesis, again, chapter 3 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now this serpent in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, this serpent should not be thought of as as the kind of serpents we've all seen out in the wild or, or in captivity. No, this was not a serpent like that. In the 1970s, I was driving across the country, and I, I stopped at this little tourist kind of a venue. It, it, it was... It was I, I drove all the way on Interstate 40, and it was out in one of the states, New Mexico or somewhere. I was on my way to California. And as I was driving, there were these billboards, the similar ones if you've ever gone down to the south of uh, South Carolina, you see these billboards south of the border. You know, you drive south of the border. Well, I kept seeing these billboards, uh, and it, it was a tourist stop. It was a place where tourists would stop and take a rest and look at things. The billboards advertised that they had this large pit of rattlesnakes that you could stop, and they were all in captivity. And I was curious. I needed a rest stop, those many desert miles. So I stopped to see the rattlesnakes. And there were a lot of them. But the serpent of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 is not to be thought of like one of those in that large roadside rattlesnake pit. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 was before the fall. Before the fall. And this pre-fall, pre-curse creature, it, I've heard it described in a number of commentaries as, as probably something very beautiful. Maybe he was even an upright creature. Not a, not a, not after the curse, things changed on all of creation, including man and beast and everything. And he was the most subtle of all the creatures in the garden. And, and, and subtle meaning he was the most clever one. He was the most uh, mysterious. He was the most skillful one in craftiness. 
of all the creatures of the garden. And it was probably because he was being possessed by that old serpent, the devil, who is the father of lies. And the serpent and the lies of the serpent remind me a lot that this serpent, he, he lied, he turned the words of God. He did quote God, but he turned some words around. He added some, he took some away. And that serpent and the lies of that serpent remind me a lot in the ways of this counterfeit Bible culture that we live in, counterfeit versions of the Bible. And there's so many of them. Probably, if the truth be known, they're, they're, if, if, if not in the hundreds, they're in the thousands. And the editors and translators of the New King James Version claim that they, they make this false claim that they stand, they stand in the way of the translators of the authorized version. That's where, that's, we're doing what the authorized translators did. And they remain, and they even claim that they remain committed, firmly committed to the same Greek and Hebrew text as the one that underlies the King James Bible. That statement is written in the New King James Version. It's written in the New King James Version. The statement of purpose by Thomas Nelson, the publisher of the New King James Version in 1979, he said this, quote, not to add to, take from, nor alter the communication intended by the original translators. That's not our purpose. We are not out to alter or, or, or disturb anything that was intended by the original translators, but to convey the communication in a 20th century vocabulary and usage. But we're not going to stray any way from the purposes of the original. And the executive director of the Old Testament portion of the New King James Version, a man by the name of James Price, Dr. James Price, from that same resource that he supports the modern versions. Well, which way is it? He's, he said that he supports the modern critical Greek text, Westcott and Hort, and that he himself is not a textual critic. I mean, it's like that old serpent in, in Genesis chapter 3, the lies, the lies about God's word, about God's word. And, and the, same, the same one that was inspiring the words of the serpent are inspiring the words of these, these translators that change God's word. He, he even said that he's not a textus receptus advocate. And yet, in the opening statement, statement of purpose, that's not what it says. He says that he's not at any war with the conservative modern versions. 
And so the, he then holds to the Sinaiticus, the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, you know, where Tischendorf turned over these manuscripts. One of them locked up in the library of the of, of Rome, the Pope's, the library. One of them found in a trash can in a monastery on Mount Sinai about to be burned with the rest of the trash. So he holds to those two and others. He supports the NIV. The NIV is based on a wrong Greek text. And it uses the dynamic equivalency method of interpretation. The dynamic equivalency method is where you take the Bible and you read it and you reposition the words, you rewrite it as, as what you think the modern English language would, would communicate, the way the modern English language would, would communicate it. That's what all these modern versions are doing. And this is a, a very, very serious, serious attack upon the word of God in this day and age, in our times. I mean, the, 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 the old hiss of that serpent, the whispers of that serpent from Eden, you can just hear, hear that in, if, you, if you get this Bible and start reading what's quoted in it. The publishers of the New King James have copied the very same tactics. It's amazing the similarities of what the serpent did in, in Genesis chapter 3. And the King James makes huge, the, the New King James Version makes huge changes and departures from the King James Version. Take, for example, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 14. In that verse, the King James Bible says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. The New King James Version says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. The word narrow used in the King James Version, and the Greek word that that word narrow came from, it means that your way is restricted. There's, there's obstacles in your way. And the context of that, of salvation, it just means that the way is narrow. It's, there's restrictions but it, it's, not, it's not difficult, as the New King James Version translates that word straight. Straight is the gate, but they say the gate, it's difficult. It's difficult. Well, uh, there's other passages that indicate that salvation is not difficult. It's not difficult. Salvation in Luke chapter 18 and verse 17 says that it, 
salvation requires coming to God as a little child. That's what salvation is. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. The, the way, it, it has obstacles, but it's, it's not difficult. If it were difficult, then it would be impossible for a little child to, to, to be saved. And there's so many examples like this. I'll quote you one or maybe two others. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. The King James Version says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring of him a certain thing of him. Worshiping him. The New King James Version says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something of him. The Greek word worship, it's referring to the worship of Jesus Christ. And, and every time that same Greek word appears in the King James Version, it's never translated anything else except worship. The mother of Zebedee's children with her sons came and, and worshipped him. And then in the New King James, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down. They changed the word. You see, it's just like the devil, that old serpent. He's changing the words around. He's taking this one out and slithering this one in. The mother of Zebedee's sons came with her sons, kneeling down and asking something. The word worship is referring to the worship of Jesus Christ. And the modern versions, they, they, they just water it down and weaken it down, and they weaken down the testimony of the deity of Christ and the Godhead. And they change words like, like worship to kneeling. Why change it at all? Why change it at all? And another thing that, as I was studying this and if we've been studying it in the institute and picking up books like this it's just like in these last days the floodgates have just opened the floodgates have opened the deception that's in this world and then in revelation chapter one more example revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 the king james version says i am he that liveth and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. I have the keys of hell and death. The New King James, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of Hades and of death. And as I was reading, it says that in, in verse 11, the New King James word replaces hell with the word Hades. Why change the word hell to Hades? There's no reason to change the word hell to Hades. Actually, though, that if you look that word up, hell, in your Strong's Concordance, it will say the word Hades. But you see, here's the, here's the slithering slyness of the serpent. 
English people know what hell is. And there's no reason to change it. But very few people in the English-speaking world and in America know what the word Hades is. The word Hades has been translated hell in the standard English Bible since the day of John Wycliffe in the 14th century. English Bibles have been translated not, but not using the word Hades, using the word hell. And so to change the word hell to Hades, it doesn't make the Bible any clearer. In this case, the New King James would not be easier to read or understand than the King James Bible. But it would help. It would help to those who are watering down the doctrine of the eternal hell and the fires of hell. It would, it would help them. The Jehovah's Witnesses deny that hell is a place of eternal fiery punishment. And so they use the word Hades. So do the Seventh-day Adventists. And today, many evangelicals, the people that like the new modern versions, they're, they're starting to... They, they question the doctrine of hell. They deny the doctrine of hell. In 1993, I saw a 30-minute television interview with a talk show host called David Frost. I think he was an English person. And his guest was Billy Graham. And the, and the interview... It was rather light to begin with. And, and, and Frost was asking Billy Graham questions about his, his family and, and, and the Billy Graham ministry and about these large evangelistic crusades that Graham was conducting in these large stadiums around the world. But, but, the, but the interview eventually took a, a little bit of a turn to more, more pointed pointed questions about the beliefs of the Christian faith. And before the interview was over, and I, I watched this, this was the most amazing part of it. Before the interview was over, at one point, Frost just, just asked directly Graham if he believed that there was a, a hell and a place of a literal fire. And this was Graham's reply. He said, when it comes to a literal fire, I don't preach it because I'm not sure about it. When the scripture uses fire concerning hell, that is possibly an illustration of how terrible it's going to be. Not a fire, but something worse, where having a thirst for God that you cannot quench. So this, is, this, this attack on the word of God has been around from the beginning. But it has 
it, it has boiled up. It is a boiling pot these days in the, in the world of Christendom, especially here in the United States. Turn, turn over to Revelation chapter 20. A better answer Billy Graham would have, could have given to Frost were the words that we read in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. Because Graham was somebody that knew the Bible, but I just don't think he believed it all. In Revelation chapter 10, it says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which, are writ- which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. These, that's the answer that David Frost and all his viewing audience really needed. But they didn't get it from, they didn't get it from Billy Graham. Billy Graham would send his converts back out into Catholic churches. You know, God's, God said in Deuteronomy chapter 30, for, the, for this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee. What God commands of people, it's not hidden. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who shall go up to heaven for us? And bring it down to us that we may hear and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea. That thou shouldest say who shall, who shall go over the sea. And bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh. Near. The word is very near unto thee. It's, the word is actually very near to everyone. It's in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And then we read these words. 
in Revelation again, chapter 21 and verse 6. And he said unto me, it is done. It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all a double L and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And these modern translations these modern translations it, it, it's you know when I got saved back in the early 1970s at the way the truth and the life in western North Carolina in a church where there was a lot of young people they, everybody had the old Schofield reference Bibles. And even back then, they cost a lot. I had to save up some money before I could get one. But I love this old Bible. I love my Henry Morris Bible. I love the footnotes in it. Yes, yes, uh, Schofield was a little off. I was reading all the introductory notes. He, he was a little off. But I'm sure he's straightened out on all of those things. But now it's an incredible, incredible Bible. But again, again, you know, there's just this, it's, it's, a lot of it is in the spiritual world. But a lot of it is, you know, the, the, the King James Bible, people just don't want it. They just don't want it. In John eight thirty one, Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, and he may as well just be saying it to you tonight. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And that word continue is the Greek word 3004 in the Strong's Greek Concordance. If you continue, and strangely that word in the Greek means to give out. To give out. If you, if you give out my word, to speak, to tell, to put forth to break our silence and express by way of our speech his word. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. That's what the Lord Jesus was doing. He was putting forth his word. And he told the disciples, if you continue in giving out and speaking and telling and putting forth Then you shall be my disciples indeed. 
And you know, sometimes it's, it's good to think the unthinkable. For example, are we living, are you living, am I living by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God? Well, that's kind of one of these truths that's uh, way up there, I don't, you know, and I don't, I don't know if I can attain that high. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Are we continuing in his word? Are we living by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God? The Lord said, I have given unto them, that's you and me, the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them. So have I also sent them into the world. Each and every one of us are missionaries. Each and every one of us. Isaiah said this in chapter 44 and verse 24. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. You know, we, we, we live in really unusual times. And we need to be seeking the Lord to do unusual things in our lives and in the lives of this church. And... I think he can and will and does do unusual things. But the thing that struck me most about studying with the, with this is how important how important it is to read God's word and to study it. To learn it. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And we all need it. You know, we often are burdened about the young people. And the young people, listen, your minds can, can obtain, your minds can get things and, and hang on to things a lot more than when you get older. The older you get, you, you'll notice that. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but it just seems like that's the way life is. And the young people really need to ask God to help you because we can't, we can't do anything of ourselves. We need, we need the Lord for everything. But if you will take the time and the effort to study his word, and sometimes I just read it. And read it and read it. Sometimes I stop on a topic like the modern Bible versions and try to put it into perspective. Let's close in a prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee tonight for these few moments to 
think about the, the attacks of these last days upon the word of God, it just seems like the, the battle is so intense in our times. It's a spiritual warfare. And we know, though, that you can give us victory in our personal lives. You can give us victory in the job or ministry that you've called us to in our homes. You can give us the victory, Lord, and we just thank thee that you can do these things. You can do great and marvelous things if we would just humble ourselves and get out of your way and let your will be done in our lives. And we thank you for this church. We just, Lord, so many of us have been here for so long and we have no desire to be any other place than rather than heaven. And we thank thee for calling us here and for uh, the, the, the great joy of Christian fellowship. We thank thee and we pray that we would be much in prayer one for another as these last days pass by. We pray that we would be looking for that glorious appearing of our Savior. And we pray that you'll just help us to love your word, that your word might be more important to us than anything in our lives. And we know that if we would dedicate ourselves to it, that you will greatly bless us. And we ask and pray these things in our Savior's name. Amen.